Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast and I am your host, Chris Pinetta. And as always, we are in studio downtown in Salem, Oregon, and we are happy to be here. I say we because uh, I'm speaking in behalf of our Leadership Institute, uh, Groundwork, a Leadership Institute is what it's called, which we started a couple of years ago. And the whole idea was to raise the tide of leaders in our community. And so that's what we're working to do. And this is a philanthropic endeavor. And so we're not a business. We're not out to try to make a profit, um, to make money. We truly just want to be part of cultivating great leadership in the communities in which we work and live. Uh, And that happens to be Salem, Oregon right now. And so we have leaders across sectors uh, that join and and participate in our institute. We meet monthly and we have speakers from all over um, present to the group. We have a key framework, which we call the Rooted Framework, hence the Rooted Leadership Podcast. And we talk a lot about seeing people talk a lot about cultivating soil, which is to be accountable, to be willing to change first, to see people and to see people deeply. We talk a lot about seeds, which are ideas and the innovation that follows actually bringing to fruition those ideas. And uh, it all leads back to soil, right? Because I can plant a seed in toxic soil and not actually have a good outcome or result. Or if we're leaning on this analogy, we won't have good fruit. And of course, there's weeds, which is conflict, the problems that all of us face, the challenges that we face, they result in conflict. Conflict isn't always bad, but most of us make it that way. And so our experience with conflict is pretty negative. So how do we get rid of the weeds? How do we dig deep enough into the soil, meaning deeply see people enough that we can get rid of those toxic weeds um, and change our toxic soil to be one that allows the best seeds and the best ideas that we have as people to actually take root and grow amazing fruit that we can all benefit from, whether it's a new product, whether it's a new initiative, a new program, uh, a new system or structure that we need to build um, where we can take more people into account. Uh, All of that hinges upon how well we cultivate the soil. So I'd like to give a little spiel every time before we begin of why we're doing what we're doing, how this is connected to our Leadership Institute, uh, why, you know, it would be helpful for you to listen to these uh, show to this show and these episodes, ultimately there's always a little something for everyone in our show. So you don't have to be a leader, even though we're called the Rude Leadership Podcast. Uh, there's a little something for everyone. So we hope that you can take uh, things away from each of our episodes. I mean, we have an array of guests that always join, and they're amazing and they have great insight to share. So we have another one today. We're actually going to be joined with Salam, our co-host. So I need to get both of these individuals on Zoom. And our guest today, is his name is Tom Johnson. And uh, I do not know Tom personally. He was a reference to us from one of our other uh, guests on our show. And he has coached basketball and taught at a school for many, many years, uh, is my understanding, and has influenced many, many people uh, along the way. And so there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, when we've been able to do something consistently like that and change that many lives. There's a lot of wisdom and knowledge to learn from there. So let me get Tom on our Zoom call and Salam as well, and then we will go from there and learn as much as we can about this individual today. Thanks for joining. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we have Salam and Tom on our Zoom call. Thanks for joining both of you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, Salam and I have learned to you know appreciate these Zoom interactions for the podcast for a while. We you know, when COVID hit, we were just doing phone calls, but I love Zooming them because we can at least see each other and soon we'll be back in studio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in studio right now, but uh, soon we can all be back in here and use all these wonderful mic stands and equipment that we have in here. But till, for now, this is that we'll make do. Um, Tom, as I mentioned, you know, before we started recording, I gave a brief intro uh, to you. Listeners already know who Salam and I are, but 
as our guest, um, love for you to to share a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, I, I already forecasted that that you uh, were a, a coach to one of our previous guests that we had, who now is a wonderful principal in our school district um, and is doing some great work. But he used to be a former player of yours. I'm sure probably a student also. And uh, when he told us about you, I asked him, I actually asked him, hey, you know, Rob, if you have any, you know, if, if you have any other people that you think would be good to have on our show, just let us know. And immediately he told us about you, like right away, he told us about you, the first person that came out of his mouth. So, um, and, uh, you know, ever since we connected and have tried to make this work out, so I'm glad that we're, we're all on, but, uh, we'd love to get to know you and we'll dive into some, some more questions here in a little bit, but go ahead and start with, with introducing yourself, um, what you do, well, why, you. why you do it and take it from there. Thank you. I'll just simply say this about Rob Schopert. He was uh, the quintessential high school athlete, great student, uh, very uh, good athlete. But more than more importantly than that, he just carried himself in a really humble manner. And, um, you know, people uh, getting an opportunity to coach people like Rob Schopert is what makes my job so rich, actually. Um, I grew up in North Portland. Um, I actually grew up in a very diverse neighborhood of Portland. Uh, a couple of blocks from the Columbia Villa, which was a, the largest housing project in the area. Um, had a great childhood, a uh, wonderful childhood. I, uh, a friend of mine once uh, said to me a few weeks ago, you know, you had the, about the most normal childhood of anybody I've ever met, which was um, a nice compliment. Uh, wonderful parents. Uh, my dad was a truck driver. My mother was a filing clerk. We didn't have a whole lot of money, but there was certainly never a shortage of love in our house. Um, when I was in fifth grade, we moved up by the University of Portland campus, and I spent my childhood uh, getting kicked off the campus uh, by campus security and every the athletic director. And, and finally, the, the head basketball coach, a man by the name of Jack Avina, said to the athletic director, leave these neighborhood kids alone. I like them being on campus. I like them being in the gym. There's no better place for them to be. So I would go up to, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I spent a lot of time uh, in the University of Portland gym. Uh, the basketball coach, Jack Avina, was, he treated us so well. Uh, he'd often take us to, to lunch after, uh, on, a, on a Saturday practice. Um, growing up as a kid, I, I played about every sport there was um, uh, with, with my neighborhood friends and you know tennis, golf, basketball, baseball, football. Uh, I played organized basketball and organized baseball as a young kid. And had an opportunity to play high school basketball at Roosevelt under a man by the name of Ernie Holman, who was a great, great man. And then I went on and played collegiately at Clark College for a couple of years and went to Western Oregon and played two years there. Um, I graduated from Western Oregon. I was only 21 years old when I graduated. And I, I felt like I was kind of too young and not seasoned enough to be a teacher. So I moved, went back to Western and got my master's degree. And um, the, the summer after I got my master's degree, I spent the entire summer working basketball camps around the state of Oregon, Oregon State, University of Oregon, uh, Lamont, Lewis and Clark, um, 10 Star Camp out in Pacific, um, and really an opportunity to, to learn from a lot of different coaches. And late in the summer, I was working at Camp Cascade and the head coach from Lebanon was there, a man by the name of Dan Jordan, and I had, did not have a teaching job. And he said, you know, there's an English job just opened up at our school. I need a freshman B basketball coach. Why don't you apply and, and see what happens? So I applied. I interviewed a, a few days later and got the job there. And I coached freshman B basketball for a couple of years at Lebanon. Uh, my third year there as a JV coach. And uh, after that year, Dan decided to get out of coaching. I was encouraged by the principal and the athletic director to apply. Um, I did so and uh, was given the job. And I was, I was pretty young. I was only 25 years old to be a head coach. Um, and I wasn't really sure what I was getting into. So I spent the next summer um, getting together with a lot of veteran coaches and, you know, uh, trying to develop a firm philosophy uh, and an approach to, to the program I wanted to run. Uh, and I, was, I was very fortunate. My, my time down in Lebanon, we had great athletes um, and we had three real good years. And 
I kind of wanted to get back to the Portland area. So the job opened up at Barlow. I applied and I was fortunate enough to get that job 30 some years ago. So um, it's been a great ride. I've been at Barlow for 30, I think 35 years. Um, and I've had awesome opportunity to work with wonderful people in a variety of roles and um, really enjoy my job. Do you, um, are you, do you teach as well there? I do. I'm an English teacher. Um, I love literature, I love poetry. Um, and you know, when I got, when I first got to Barlow, I was, I was, um, still a pretty young coach. I was only 28 years old, but I was surrounded by a lot of veteran coaches that were really good at what they did. Um, and I learned a whole lot my first three or four years at Barlow about, you know, coaching and being a professional and how to treat, treat kids, uh, from a, a lot of people that are just really good at their, that their craft. And, um, so I was really fortunate in that regard. And, and, you know, it's really important. I, I think, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of interscholastic athletics, as you probably could imagine. You know, we are the only country in the, US, uh, in the world that still incorporates academics and athletics together. And um, we have more than half of the kids in the United States of America uh, that are high school age are involved in at least one sport. That's 7.6 million youths that are student athletes. And, um, you know, the great thing about coaching and, and as opposed to teaching, you know, when you're coaching, you have a captive audience. Um, when I teach my American lit class at seven 30 in the morning, I can't necessarily say that's a captive audience, but at three o'clock in the afternoon, when I have my high school basketball kids out there, that is a captive audience. Those are kids that want to be there. And, um, so it gives me an opportunity to teach a whole lot more than just the fundamentals of basketball. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it's uh, it, it's a great opportunity to really instill a lot of uh, important principles in in our student athletes. Yeah, I find that um, really fascinating. And you know, Salam and I uh, have both coached. Uh, we both have coached soccer. You know, in our in our lives, obviously, I have not been coaching. You know, near as long as as you, but still coaching now. And I love that point of you know the, the difference is a, a captive audience. I I, I love that, and I want to get into into all of these different. Um, people, you know, that you've been able to influence over the years, whether in the classroom or on the basketball court. But before, I'm just really curious when you mentioned that you were surrounded by some veteran um, coaches and that they taught you a lot of, you know, really important things at that time of your life. I'm just curious if what were some of those things that they taught you um, or that you learned from them uh, that you still think about or that are still relevant, you know, and how you carry yourself um, as a leader as a coach, et cetera? Well, I think I, I mentioned the first one. You want to surround yourself with good people. And for my, my, my staff that I coach with, I've, I, I work with great people every day, my coaches. I, I had the same freshman coach for more than 20 years. He's since retired. I had the same JV coach for 17 years, and he's since retired. I had the same one of my varsity assistants I've had for more than 30 years. And, and they not only are, are great coaches, but more importantly, they're great people. Uh, but some of the things that I've learned from, from the other coaches that I, I work with, um, first of all, I, I learned honesty. And, and, and I know that it, it, it's, it's an expectation that, that we should be honest with kids, but sometimes honesty is hard. It, it, sometimes to be really honest with kids and, and sometimes give them bad news. For example, I, I've got to cut during the course of uh, when we have tryouts, I end up cutting more kids then we can keep. Um, and you know, that's, that is never any fun as a coach, but I also believe that there's a right and wrong way to do everything. Um, I want to make sure when I, when I talk to kids and give them bad news and there's no good way to give bad news, but, I, but again, I think some is, some ways are better than others. I always want to make sure I have a sit down face to face, honest conversation with them uh, and show them empathy and, and compassion and understanding and let them know that, man, I, I encourage, I want to encourage them and, and compliment them for coming out. I think being cut from a sport, believe it or not, is really a good experience. Um, I, I, you know, if there's one dominant theme in athletics, it's that you don't always get what you want. And I think it's important that young kids learn that. Um, so I always try to be as honest with, with kids as I can when I, when I talk with them. 
But of course, temper that with with empathy and, and compassion. Uh, but I believe honesty is one of the highest forms of respect we can give someone. Um, I, I, learned, I learned also that, you know what, it's important as coaches that we try to inspire and be inspiring and encourage kids. Um, obviously, I think it's really, really important that, that as coaches that we stay optimistic and help kids understand um, that frustration and difficulty is part of this endeavor. And what's most important is how we deal with that frustration and difficulty. Um, one of the, the biggest themes that I, that I um, especially in recent years, that I've, I think is really important that I want to teach young kids is the importance of gratitude and being thankful. Um, because it, it, gratitude does, a, it, you know, I've been reading a lot about the importance of gratitude. I went through a health crisis about eight years ago. And... Um, I, um, one of the books I read during that period of time was called A Thousand Gifts. And it talked about the importance of gratitude. And the whole premise of that book was, is that joy is preceded by gratitude. So if we're supposed to be, if we want to be joyful, we have first got to be grateful. And there's a whole lot of things, you know, there's a whole lot of things that we could complain about, but man, there's a whole lot of things we can be thankful for too. So we want to try to get, get kids to think in that manner. Um, other things I've learned uh, from coaches is, you know, it's important that we deflect praise and give praise to the athletes when success comes our way. And by the same token, I think it's important as coaches that we own criticism. Um, and then finally, um, I, I think it's important that we have fun as coaches. I had an athletic director by the name of Al Garrison for many years. Uh, and that was my first few years at Barlow. And he'd come down to my classroom and he'd say, he would ask me, he says, TJ, are you having fun? And I'd have to sometimes think about it because you get so wound up in the moment of coaching and in, in, in the middle of the season and stuff. But you know what? The number one reason kids play high school sports is because it's fun. And it's important that if they're going to have some fun as coaches, we have to have fun as well. Um, and then finally, the, the last thing that I, that I learned that I think has been really really vital to a lot of the things that we do is I think it's important that we have clear expectations for that my, myself, I have clear expectations for not only my coaches and my athletes, but also for the uh, parents of my athletes as well. And um, so I have a, a list of things that I go over with, with my parents, my players and my coaches that talk about the expectations that I have. Uh, I, I love I love every single one of those points. You know, we, we, we could make an episode on every single one of those points that you just made, but I just want to, I want to go through those uh, just one more time as I was writing them down. Cause I think, you know, these aren't just applicable in, in, in athletics, um, you know, or, or work with, with, with youth. But I think these are just helpful across the board, no matter who we are um, or what we do, especially as leaders. But the first one that you had surround yourself with, with great people. Um, so important, uh, you know, just here, um, where, where we work, you know, uh, one of our leaders, his name is JT. He, he always is, he, he tells me that all the time is the one of the most important decisions that you can make or that we can make is, is who we hire, right. Is who we decide to work with. Uh, and I think that goes hand in hand and same thing, you know, outside of a work environment, who we choose to, to associate with and surround ourselves with in our social groups and, um, obviously, we can't always choose our family, <laughs> right? Uh, but surrounding ourselves with great people, uh, love that. Uh, two was honesty. You had a lot to say um, about that. I love that you said it's the, you know, it's the highest form of respect is to be is to be honest. Um, and and specifically, you built on that and said there's a right and wrong way to do anything. That immediately reminded me of a lot of the work that we do here around outward mindset. So we talked we use even those same words, right? There's, there's two ways that we can do most anything, right? We can do it in an inward way where, uh, that, that would be the wrong way. Um, you know, let's say you have to fire somebody, cut somebody, do the, you know, do the hard thing. And we can do that in a way to where we're worried about our image, what people are going to think about us. Uh, you know, we're doing it in a way that's maybe demeaning, or we can do the very same thing, which is in this case, like you said, cut somebody or fire somebody or have a difficult conversation, but we can see them as a person when we do it. Right, one way we see them as an object, the other way we see them as a person, and I, I ultimately think that that makes, excuse me, that makes all the difference in most things that we do in life. Is are we doing it in the right 
or wrong way cuz uh, something i say a lot is you can do the you can do the right thing the wrong way <laughs> right um you can you can fake the right behavior and and smile and say hello but you can do it in the wrong way um and i've been guilty many times in my life of doing the right things the wrong way um and so i i think that's a really important thing to to model especially for for young people for for young kids um but uh to teach as well um I also loved what you said. You don't always get what you want, and that's one of the beauties of athletics. And I I resonate deeply with that. I was cut from a couple of teams, um, and and you have to swallow that and and understand what it feels like to to not get what you want and to not have things work out your way. And that's such an important lesson for anybody to you know to deal with uh, with that. Um, and then uh, I think the fourth thing you said is we need to inspire and be inspiring. I think a lot of for a lot of kids, that's why they a lot of that's they show up to have fun, like you said, but they also show up to be inspired, <laughs> right? And people do that the same thing in our in their workplace. They might not say it or act like it, but we show up and we want to feel inspired. We want to improve and be better. So I think that's an important thing. You said gratitude, which I think is a big one. Being thankful. Um, I I personally believe that you can't you cannot be bitter, upset, angry, depressed, etc. And be grateful at the same time. So I think gratitude is a is a medicine for so many challenges that that we face. If we can learn to have an attitude of gratitude, uh, attitude of gratitude, as I say. Um, and then six, you said, give praise, own criticism. I think that's important. You know, to have that accountability of owning the criticism. It's always easy to give the praise, not as easy to to own the criticism. And then you said, you know, have fun. People show up because they want to have fun and clear expectations. A lot to say about clarity. So. I just wanted to reiterate those for any listeners as well, because I think those are those are helpful tips in life and in in general, not just in coaching and and your experience. So uh, those were incredible. Probably keep coming back to some of those points. But Salam, do you have any any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, yeah, I have a question uh, for Tom, and I I love those points, and I actually love the fact that you've you've restated them. Um, they are so so powerful, and you can very easily relate to them and see yourself in them. Um, I want to touch on two things, if I may. One is going back to your first point of surround yourself with good people. We talked a little bit about our rooted framework and soil, seeds, and weeds as the the analogy that we typically use. And I couldn't help but think about soil when you talked about surrounding yourself with good people, because good people help shape who you are. Uh, You learn a great deal from good people. They model for you the behavior and the expectations that you ought to adopt, if you will. And I think having good people around you helps reinforce your values and principles. What I'm So I just to put that as a back, backdrop, you know, I love what you said about working with athletes, but in essence, you're developing good people. Not everybody is going to become a professional basketball player or a professional athlete. Not everyone is going to go into the field of athletics, whether it's basketball or another area. But essentially, Tom, you're developing good people that will benefit society in in a lot of different ways. So how do you instill that in your athletes? I love the principles that Chris just, just reiterated. But how do you enforce these things in your athletes while you're coaching basketball and while you're trying to win and compete uh, at the highest level possible and to get them to think about themselves as people in the process and to see the other athletes that they're competing against as people. So in essence, how do you humanize that whole experience for them? And you teach them that it's about being good people and it's about seeing people and not just winning and losing. And I love what you said, because you also create the culture that teaches people how to win and how to lose. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I've always thought that athletics is is a great metaphor for life. Um, and I think one, one of the phrases that I use with my athletes about basketball is make sure that uh, you are using basketball and basketball is not using you. Uh, and what that means is that basketball should be basketball should be a means to become a better person. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um uh, we, we had an athlete come into our, our school uh, as an eighth grader and he, he was not part of our school district, but he moved in right before, right after his eighth grade year. And he, and he played summer basketball with us. 
and I got to know him really well. And he was very passionate about basketball. And he's and he's a great kid. He was, he, but he had very little success academically in junior high. Uh, didn't care much for school, um, but he loved basketball. So so for us, you know, this is an opportunity for basketball to hopefully make him a better person. Was first, I had him in class as a freshman, and uh, he was pretty disinterested in school. But about the three week mark of the school year, he. Um, he gets in a fight and gets suspended for a couple of days. Uh, he comes back to school and I check his grades and he's flunking three of his classes. And so I, I had a sit down conversation with him and I just said, look, this, you know, first of all, if you're going to be part of our program, you're not going to get in fights at school and you're certainly not going to be failing three classes. Okay. That's, that's not how we operate here. I said, I'm going to do, I'll do whatever I can to help you be successful, but you're going to have to change a little bit yourself. And we're going to have to come. And, you know, really, and I give him him a lot of credit. I think he's really surprised by the conversation we had. But from that point on, all of a sudden, he started buckling down. And his junior year, he actually got his, he got a 3.4 GPA one semester his junior year. And his mom came to me before the game and she was crying. She was so happy. She was in tears. And so I think there's an example of, of where, we use basketball to help make this kid a little bit more accountable, not only as a student, but as, as a person. And, um, and, that, and that's, the, that's the beauty of, of, of athletics is that we can, you know, you know, here's the United States of America. In our country, every young person is, uh, has the right to an education, but not every young person has a right to be involved in extracurricular activity. To be involved in extracurricular activity is a privilege, and with privilege comes responsibility. And so this is an opportunity for us as teachers and as coaches to, to teach responsibility to kids. Um, so that's one of the ways. I will say this about, about our practices. When we, um, when we meet as a, as a team before practice, we never – we always meet in our classroom. We always go to my classroom. We meet um, – and we, my assistant coach, um, at the beginning of every practice, he has what we call one thing. Uh, his name is Gene Sailing. He's been with us for 30 years. And he shares one aspect about the game of basketball. It could be, um, uh, this, is, this is how we block out on free throws. Uh, this is how we defend a pick and roll. Uh, he will share one aspect of the game of basketball. And then I always share what we call a Bruin brief. Um, and this is... It could be a life lesson. It could be a little story. It could be a little biography on, on a famous American, for example. Uh, when it's Martin Luther King Day, I, I give some, I bring some out on Martin Luther King. When it's President's Day, I, I have a handout on uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, but it's one lesson about something other than basketball that hopefully can be related to becoming a better teammate, a better person, a better citizen, maybe a better student improving them in, in some other aspect of life. And so we always start off with some sort of a life lesson that we, uh, that we want to get across to kids. If, if I may follow up, Chris, just very quickly, because this is absolutely a soil um, example, uh, because you're cultivating a certain mindset in your students and your athletes. Um, how did you prepare them to embrace that? What did you do to get them to understand the meaning of this one lesson that you provide or your assistant coach provide and for them to internalize it and make meaning of it that's relevant both on the court and beyond the court? Well, we, we discuss it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, Salam, I'm not sure where, where you're going with that, but well, what I'm trying to to understand, and I love it, by the way, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I wish I can go back and coach the way you coach uh, and the way you empower and, and enable students. But what was essentially it's what we call in the rooted framework is cultivating the soil and cultivating the soil is a preparation of the people around you to embrace certain things or to accept certain things. Because I could say this is an innovation in the way you approach coaching. Um, so did you do some, I mean, did you do something before these lessons that you imparted upon them, um, every time to get them ready for them? Did you explain to them your philosophy, your approach? Oh, yeah. So, okay. yes. yes. But, but also, you know, I think I, I, I did, I have more than 
a hundred of these, what we call Bruin briefs, which are kind of life lessons. And I try to make them applicable to what's going on. For example, we started off our year, last year we started off, we had really high expectations. We started off our season two and five. And uh, I think our kids were a little bit, well, they were, they were a little bit down. I might even say that they were close to being devastated. So we looked at a lot of different quotes by um, different people about how important it is to be resilient, uh, to hang in there, to stay unified, um, to continue to not panic over the situation um, and how important those things are. So I'm glad this is going to be edited. Uh, One of the things we used was um, a quote like, uh, it's not where you start that matters, it's where you finish. uh, I'll share with you my expectations for my players. Okay. Um, I, 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 by the way, I want to let you know that most of the stuff I'm sharing with you is not my original. I, I learned very early on that good coaches steal from other coaches. So everything that I'm sharing with you is most everything I'm sharing is not my original. Uh, I have what's called a player p- parent pledge that um, I got from a young lady that coached volleyball. About, about 10 years ago, by the name of Latoya Harris. She was a phenomenal athlete at Park Rose. She went to Washington State, played volleyball. And then she coached at Barlow for about six or seven years. And I would watch her practices. And I was really, I really thought she did a great job of how she handled her kids and, and her demeanor and so forth. And she shared this with me, that she has her players and her parents sign a pledge of her expectations throughout the year. And um, I kind of re- reworded this so it would kind of fit my philosophy and then a lot of the things that we that we refer to uh, during the course of the season refer back to this. The first one is is I will abide by the drug and alcohol policy, okay? Which is um, and I go through that with the kids. Uh, the next one I will set solid academic goals throughout high school. The third one I will work hard in practice, be loyal to my teammates, my coaches, and the program. Uh, the fourth one, which I think is important, I will overcome the urge to complain. Think negatively, act selfishly, cause dissension, or engage in any unnecessary behavior that disrupts team chemistry. And I added this on about three years ago. This includes social media. Uh, I will become an ambassador for our program, going out of my way to thank friends and boosters for their support. Uh, Here's the, the, the gratitude one. I will show frequent and genuine appreciation for those who work on behalf of our program. Um... The next one, I will make not make excuses for my play, but take responsibility for my actions. Uh, I will refrain from using obscenities during practice, and I will accept the decision of the coaching staff regarding playing time and support my teammates when I'm not in the game. And then finally, I think this is a really good one, I will strive to be a role model for younger athletes in our community. So that sort of framework kind of gives me an opportunity to work from as, as, I, as I develop some of the, the lessons that I want to teach kids outside the athletic arena. That's great. Thank you. I, uh, it's awesome. As you've been, uh, sharing, I have, uh, I just, you know, I've just been thinking there's a story that I want to share and I'd love your, your thoughts on it. Um, cause I have my theories, um, about why something happened that, that happened in the story that I want to share about a time when I was part of a team, but I, I'm really curious in your opinion, on it because you know you mentioned how how many years you've been coaching say it again uh for this is actually 42 42 years of coaching right and uh and we'll just say i'm sure you've you you know there, there's so many kids that that right those 42 years is thousands of kids right across the board um but that's essentially you know one team a year that's 42 teams because and in, in high school, you get a new team every year because some people join, some people leave. So you have a whole new team every single year. Um, and so that's just a lot of, a lot of wisdom. And, and so you, you've seen what works, what doesn't work. And one of the hardest parts about coaching is to, to hit the sweet spot, you know, to have a team that is consistently successful, which is hard to do. If it was easy, then every single team would be so successful, right? Uh, but you have you have amazing teams that have somehow cracked the code, right? You have, um, and doesn't mean that they win championships all the you know, every single year, but they've just they're they're winning, right? And you have like the Spurs, right, who are one of the most winningest teams ever, right? And and Popovich, what he's done, 
where they just, they consistently win, they consistently perform. And there's reasons to that, you know, and it's not just, oh, we have all the best athletes. That's clearly not it. Um, and so there's deeper components to it. And I think every coach wants to find how to tap into that. And I think that's the challenge in, in athletics is how do you tap into that and become a great team? Um, and so that's, you know, that's, I, that's just tough being an, being an athlete and a coach. It's hard to, you can't just make that up. You can't just will it to existence because you want it to. Um, I think there's some ingredients that go into it and we're talking about soil. I think it's really, it's rooted in this soil. Are, are we willing to cultivate our soil? Um, but I, you know, I've been a part of some, some great teams and some not so great teams, but there was, there's, there's just one, you know, specific time that sticks out to me, one season in particular, um, that I thought was amazing. I've never been on a team or experienced a season quite like this one. Uh, and, and we, you know, we ended up breaking all the records in our school. Uh, you know, we, we did really well in the tables. I mean, we just had a phenomenal season on paper, but what matters to me more about that year was what you didn't see, right? The between the lines, the, the off, you know, the things that didn't happen on the field necessarily in, in games. That's what made that year so amazing. But, uh, to me, it leads back to this one moment that I want to share. And then I just want to hear your thoughts on everything that I've, that I've said about this idea of creating a great, great teams. Um, but it was, uh, it was my junior year in college. And like I mentioned, I played soccer and I was a goalkeeper and, uh, we uh, had a pretty good preseason. We had done a lot of work, obviously, physically and technically, but also to try to create a good, strong team. And we had a great preseason. We were undefeated, actually. And so for me, that was good as a goalkeeper. I had zero goals scored on me so far. So I had a bunch of clean sheets and we even tied one of the top 20 teams in the country. I mean, we were playing really well and we, we loaded our preseason with as many games as we could. And then our last preseason game was an in-conference team, but it was, you know, it was a preseason and we played University of Hawaii Hilo, and they were not very good. Uh, they always kind of mediocre, finished towards the bottom of the tables. And so we thought, well, we've been playing really well, so we're gonna just spank these guys. <laughs> and we we were on the big, we were on the main island of Oahu. So when we play Hilo, which is on the Big Island, one quick plane ride, forty five minutes, we're there. We play, we eat, we fly home. And so we 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 get there. We you know we start playing the game, and we just start falling apart. 15 minutes in, things weren't going our way with the referees and, and just falling apart, getting upset at each other, yelling at each other. You know, I'm blaming everybody like ah, blah, blah, blah. Team coaches yelling, the team team on the bench is yelling. We're just getting so upset. There ends up being a PK, you know, free shot basically on me. They score down 1-0 uh, and again, upset at the ref, upset at the t- my team. Uh, you know, we go into second half and we try to do what teams are supposed to do to get us back on our feet. Uh, didn't work very well. We go back out second half. We got scored on again, and we end up losing the game. And we just fell apart. I mean, fell apart. And so after the game, my coach says what every good coach should say. He said all the things, right? All the things. All the things you're supposed to say as a coach. But I'm sitting there, and I, I and look, I this is all my perspective. So if one of my former teammates is listening, and and they share a different perspective of this season and this exact moment, that's fine. But this is my perspective. I'm sitting in the back and I, I'm just like, just shut up, coach. Like, let's just go home, right? I'm just like, stop. Let's just go home and forget about this night. And that's what I'm thinking. But we're just listening to him. And he's, again, he's saying all the right things that coaches are supposed to say. And then he said, you know, he usually called on people like, hey, captains, what, are, what about you? You know, you, you share. And they, they say all the things that, co- that captains are supposed to say. And, you know, things that they were saying is we need to take ownership. We need to be accountable for this. We should stop blaming, you know, each other and st- stop blaming the refs and the other team. But me, and as I look around at my teammates, nobody's buying it. We are still upset, still bitter, and just want to be done with this evening. We usually go, we went to go eat at this restaurant that we'd always eat at there. And it was usually a fun time. Not tonight, though. Not this night. Nobody was talking to each other. Um, and you could cut the tension with a knife in the room. I mean, it was, it was bad. Then we get in the vans and we start driving to the airport. And it's dark out now. It's nighttime. And flight's like 45 minutes, you know, uh, away. Uh, so it's close to boarding time, but my coach, I'm in the van where that he's driving and he just pulls off to the side of the road at this random park in Hilo, Hawaii, gets us all out. And we have no idea why we're like, coach, we're going to miss our flight. He gets us all out. We go to the middle of this park. It's dark. And he gets us in this circle <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, here it goes again. And of course he goes on his spiel, right? Saying all the things that coaches should say. 
and, you know, stop blaming each other. You know, we need to step it up. We need to blah, 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 you know, stop blaming, yada, yada. And I'm sitting in, I'm standing in the back of this circle and I'm just staring at the ground, like kicking the dirt, like, oh my gosh, this is getting old now. Like, let's forget about this and start again tomorrow, you know? And I look around at my teammates, the same thing. They're all just hands in pockets, staring at the ground, just like thinking, probably thinking to themselves the same. And, and so my coach is done and I'm fine. I'm finally thinking like, okay, finally we can leave. But he sits there and pauses. And then he asks a question they usually didn't ask. He said, does anybody want to say anything? And, uh, I'm thinking like, nobody say a word. Like if, if everyone shuts up, then we can leave <laughs> and nobody says anything. We're all looking around at each other, making eye contact, like shaking our heads, like, shh, don't say anything, you know? And then one of my teammates, his name was Jake steps from the back of the circle on the opposite side from me. And I forgot Jake was there. Jake was what, you know, what you would call a practice player. He never played in any games. He didn't play a minute of that game. In fact, he only traveled, I think, because you know, he never traveled after that. So I think it was, well, here's the last preseason game. We'll let him travel once. So Jake steps forward and I'm thinking, Jake, why are you stepping forward? And he steps forward in the middle of the circle. And then he says two things uh, that I'll never forget. The first thing he said was, guys, I just want to apologize for not being a good teammate today. Um, I feel like I added to our loss today and I could have been a better teammate and I wasn't. And I just want to say sorry to all of you that I added to our loss today. <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I mean, we're all, we all know that he didn't play. He sat on the bench the whole time, but here's this guy that's apologizing for his role in losing this game and not being a good teammate. Right, so he apologizes for that, and then it gets everybody's attention. Okay, so now we're all on a we're all on our edge of our seats, like, oh my gosh, you know, keep going, keep talking. <laughs> so he apologizes, and I'm starting to feel about this big, right, really small, because um, I had a lot to do with that loss that day, and I wasn't certainly wasn't ready to apologize. But here he is, and he didn't even play one minute. And uh, and then he says, and then he says this. He said, two days ago in practice. I got a small injury, you know, and in soccer, we call him a nick, you know, you get a little nick, nothing serious. He's like, you know, it wasn't anything serious, but I did leave practice early to go ice. And then he said, and he looked at all of us and he said, every single one of you guys either texted me or came by my dorm or gave me a phone call to ask how I was doing. He said, I've never been on a team like that. And I just want to say that I love all of you and, and, and that this is, this is an amazing team. And then he stepped back you know, to where he was. And man, the whole dynamic of that night changed. Um, that whole feeling changed. And, and that after that, we didn't, when we, we didn't lose a game and we didn't lose and we just had an amazing season. Um, and, uh, I know you could probably talk to some of my teammates. It's certainly my coach, cause we've talked about it since. If you go back to what made that season so great, well, it's Jake, <laughs> what he said that night on Hilo. Um, and so we, I was, a, you know, that was the, probably the one season where I was really part of that complete package of a team and that's hard to replicate, right? But there was something about that night and, and the soil that was cultivated before that made it such a, a, a amazing team. And so I wanted to share that. And I'm sorry I took so long to share the story, but I wanted to get your thoughts and your, your opinions on, on, uh, you know, what I did to set that story up and the story itself, just with all of your experience um, coaching and influencing, you know, young, young people and, and very competitive, <laughs> um, uh, type A, you know, personality individuals, you know, how do you, how do you tap in into that? Well, first of all, I, I, first of all, my post-game talks, especially after a loss, they are very, very short. <laughs> you know, um, you, pro- you, you kind of alluded to this, that you really weren't paying much attention anyway. I mean, you, when you're involved in athletics, after, after a contest, you're really, really the best thing you can give athletes after a contest. And this is a good reminder for parents. The best thing a parent can do after their son or daughter is involved in an athletic event is give them time and space. Uh, don't, don't talk about the game. If they want to talk about it, great, but don't talk about it yourself. Uh, so I give, I, I'm very short with my post-game talks. I will say this. I believe in, uh, Leadership plurality. I am, you know, I know that I am the in charge of our program. I, we have four teams. We have youth teams uh, at the grade school level, and I am in charge of the teams. And I do make a lot of the final decisions. But I, I lean a whole lot on my assistant coaches. I, I value their opinion. 
I want to know what they think. But I also think it's really, really important as a coach that I listen to my players. Uh, one of the weaknesses I had as a younger coach, I think, is I didn't listen enough. Um, and I, I think it's important that, that you know, your, your coach says, anybody have, have anything to say? I, I always, um, we meet every, every two weeks, I meet individually, my assistant coaches and I meet individually with kids in, on our team. And we talk to them and we want to know what they think. Uh, we, we usually, we, we talk about their role. I think it's really important as, as a coach that I identify players' strengths and weaknesses uh, and what they can lend to uh, our team. And we always have a kid like Jake on our team. We have one or two players that are, are practice kids that they know that they're practice kids. They know that their, their time in the game is going to be minimal, but they are valuable to the teams simply for those, those, those sort of examples uh, that you just gave. Um, and, you know, it's interesting in athletics, um, the, sometimes the greatest disappointments can become the greatest blessings. Um, and that's the way you have to look at, at failure. Uh, and I think, by the way, I think, I don't think there's any better venue to teach young kids how to fail than athletics. Uh, we certainly don't want them failing uh, in drugs and alcohol. We don't want them failing behind the wheel of a car. Uh, but if they fail in an athletic endeavor, that's a great experience. Let's learn from it. Let's get better and let's move on. And, um, and you know, a, a year ago, I said we started off our season two and five. We ended up winning our, our last 15 games. And, and I think the, the reason was, was simply what you talked about is that um, our kids, and I, I give our kids all the credit, they, they owned up to the fact that we were not playing very well, we were not together. The one thing I tried to tell them is, hey, this is, not a mar- this is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And what's important is not how we're playing now, but how we're playing later. And we got a chance to turn it around. So, but I'm telling you, guys like Jake, I love those guys on my team. I love having kids like that. I look back over the years of, of coaching that I've had, and I've, I've had an opportunity to coach some really, really talented players. Uh, I coached Freddie Jones, who's played seven years in the NBA. Uh, I coached Ryan Krauser, who was a gold medalist in the Olympics, uh, in the last Olympics. Um, but you know what? Uh, some of the most valuable kids and some of the best uh, teammates were those kids that, were, uh, that played very, very little. And you need those kids. You really need those kids on your team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just it was this unique dynamic that I've never been a part of where you know every single person on the bench, you know, from the star player all the way down to to the, you know, the the freshman that never plays and that you know, we make do all the dirty work, <laughs> right? Uh yeah. everybody loved each other and valued their their role on the team and respected what they brought. Uh, and and there was mm-hmm. no there was no difference among us, if if you will, right? Now there's clear differences, right? But to us, there was no difference among us. We were, you know, we were family, brotherhood, and and that makes so much sense to that that's going to work. But yet, not everybody taps into it, right? Not everybody taps into it, uh, and and so it's it's obviously something that's hard to achieve. Um, and I, to me, it's it's the ultimate goal in in athletics is how can you you know, uh, as a team, how can you tap into that, that, uh, that way of being that way of playing and, and being with one another? Um, cause it's certainly not easy, but yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll carry that lesson, uh, you know, that, that Jake taught, taught us and, and specifically me that night forever, right. Ex- talk about extreme accountability, you know, he's owning up and then he had the, he had the least tangible role to play in the game, but he was owning up to it. And that's, you know, that's, that's a high level of accountability. And, and so, um, one of the things that, that he did, um, I, I read, I was in the last month or so, I read a, a, an article on the law of reverse effort, which was really, uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it. The law of reverse effort is we think that as human beings, if we just try harder and try harder and try harder, that things will work out for us. And, but really, uh, it, the, the law of reverse effort means that we're going to try, not try so hard ourselves, but try hard to lift others up, uh, to empower others, to encourage others. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a, 
I'm a, I've, I've told you I'm a literature guy, so I'm going to recite a little part of a, of a poem for you. Are you almost disgusted with life, little man? I'll tell you a wonderful trick that will bring you contentment if anything can. Do something for somebody quick. So the law of reverse effort basically says that if you want to pick yourself up, first you must pick somebody else up, okay? And that is, that is the best way to encourage yourself. But I know that as athletes and as people, we have this, we are focused in on ourselves and our effort. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I know the high school kids, they get nervous before games. I get nervous. I get nervous before games. And they're nervous about how they're going to play and how they're going to perform. And I always tell them this. I said, don't worry about how you're going to be, how you're going to perform. Just worry about how we're going to perform. That way it takes the pressure off themselves and, and they can go out and play and have fun. I love, so, um, I love, yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, I love that, that, you know, there's a paradox there. Um, uh, <laughs> when we stop thinking and focusing on ourselves, we end up being our best self. And I, you know, I think of from a biblical standpoint, you know, and you don't, we don't even have, to, you don't have to be a religious to any listener that's here, hear this component, but I love this verse, and I can't remember the exact verse in the Bible, but, you know, it's, uh, take my yoke upon you that your burdens might be light, you know? And he's talking about a yoke that, like, oxen have to carry, right? So he's basically saying, God is saying, take my yoke upon you that your burdens might be light. So, you know, it's, and what he means by that is love and, and, and be like me, you know, that your burdens will be lighter. So this is paradox of the more you take on, you know, the lighter your load will be. And the same thing with what you said with your team is, you know, stop thinking just about your performance. Think bigger. Think about your team's performance. And in that, you know, we get better outcomes. So it's it's a really interesting uh, paradox that I think about all the time. Um, the solution to our problems isn't isn't thinking of more of ourselves, which caused the problem. It's the beginning to think of others, you know. Um, so I, I, lo- I love that you bring that up. I think that's that's key, especially in, in soil work. Out athletics, organizational world, families. I think that's a key component. Absolutely. You know, uh, early on when I was at Barlow, uh, I had an athletic director by the name of Brad Garrett, who works for the, he works for the OSAA now. And he, he taught me something that he, he would, he would come up, he would leave his office. He would walk down to my classroom every week. He did this during the season. And he would say, TJ, how can I help you? And I'd say, well, Brad, I need this and this and this. He go, well, I can get this for you. I, I might be able to get that, but I can't get this for you. But the fact that he would walk out of his office and down to my classroom to ask me how he could help me uh, made an impression on me and made me think, you know, that's, that's what I need to do for my athletes. Um, if I notice that a kid is kind of down, maybe one thing or another, I will seek him out the next day at school. Um, if during my prep period, I'll find out what class he has. I'll, I'll, I'll go to him and say, what, hey, are you doing okay? What can I do to help? You know, um, I think that's really important. That's that's that phrase alone that I got from my athletic director, and I give him credit for that. Is uh, that that makes an that makes an impact on people when you ask him, "What yeah. can I do to help?" And you know, it goes back. Of course, that servant leadership that I know you guys are familiar with. Yeah, but I think it goes at a, a it it's something that's deeper, in my opinion. I think servant leadership, uh, distributed leadership, however you refer to it, um, is an essential quality or principle of leadership. But when you seek people out and you genuinely ask, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I support you? Um, in, the, in the rooted framework, we call that seeing people and deeply seeing people. And what I really admire about your approach is that you set clear expectations. You have accountability standards that you adhere to and you expect athletes and parents to adhere to, but you see them as human beings. You see them as as people and you feel accountable to them and, and accountable to their development as fully uh, functioning uh, human beings. What I was curious about, I want to touch a little bit on maybe the, the extreme end of the continuum here, because you've done a lot of great soil work in terms of cultivating the relationships, cultivating the environment, the expectations. I love your humility. Uh, you've been doing this for a long time. So you're a master at it right now. 
but I really admire your humility. And I and you attribute that to many people along the way that saw you and gave you opportunities and enabled you to be the coach and the person that you are today. Um, I'm curious about the the rough bumps along the way, um, the challenges, whether it's a, a tough season like you referred to earlier or a situation where uh, students and athletes get into a competitive environment. It's not collaborative. Uh, it's not, they don't see each other as people. Maybe there's conflict or tension that, that surfaces within the team um, or even, you know, conflict and tension amongst coaches in terms of philosophy approach. What do we do about the next game? What do we do about this player or that player? It's what we often refer to as the weeds in, in our rooted framework. Um, uh, those, those, you know, pesky thing that things that keep you from doing what you're supposed to do from being successful, highly functioning, et cetera. Uh, you've been at this for a long, long time and congratulations on a wonderful career. It's really, really exciting. What, what, what have you done to address those issues when they surface over, you know, over time perhaps? Well, first of all, I think um, th th those are great questions. Um, where there are people, there are problems. And I think that we need to keep that first. You know, we we are we are all very, very imperfect. In fact, I don't know if there's another endeavor that shows human imperfection as clearly as competitive athletics from the players to the coaches, to the officials, to the fans. So where you have people, you are going to have problems. And I think you need to you need to try to see those before they happen and even try to address them before they happen. Um, I had a kid several years ago. Um, Great kid, but very strong-willed, very strong-willed kid. Uh, I developed a, a good relationship with him, but he became such a distraction that I had to dismiss him from the team uh, during the summer, which was a great time to do it because then he has the summer to try to hopefully figure out that, okay, I need to either change my way or, or I won't be a part of the program. Um, so, um, but, but to answer your question, I do deal with them directly. I think one of the problems, I, I will say this as a younger coach, I would sometimes avoid problems and, you know, maybe, maybe there's a tension within the team and I could sense it, but I would avoid it and just kind of hoped it went away. But I think, but I realize now that's not the way to do it. I think what's most important is that you address it directly. And that might be one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, rarely do I bring two people that are in conflict together, but I have done that before. Um, and I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a right and wrong way to do things. Um, I, I think it's very, very important to have um, civil conversations when you, have, when you have disagreement. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, my coaches, I told you that I am fortunate. I surround myself, I've surrounded myself with great coaches, but you know what? They don't always agree with me. And you know what, if they don't agree with me, I want to hear, I want to know they don't agree with me and I want to know why. I want them to keep me accountable. I want to know their opinions. Um, and if they don't agree with me, I want to know why. And then we will have a conversation. And if we still don't agree, somebody's going to have to make the decision. And usually that's me. But uh, I will say this, Salam. I've had last year, I had, uh, I have two varsity assistant coaches and I wanted to make a lineup change and they both disagreed with me. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to sleep on this. And I came back the next day and they both still disagreed with me. And I thought, you know what? I'm maybe I don't have the right answer. Maybe I don't have the answer. I need to stop. I, so I kind of stepped back and I would not have done this as a younger coach. As a younger coach, I said, nope, this is what we're doing. But I stopped back, stopped back. And, you know, both these guys combined have more experience than I do. Maybe I should listen to them. And so I did. And you know what? It, it ended up being the right decision. Um, had I not listened to them, had I, had I let my pride step in front of me, that would have, it would have been a poor decision. Um, so, but, but to, I guess to answer your question, I do, when there's conflict, you must deal with it. Uh, I, I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think you can just hope it goes away. I think it's best to deal with it. And you know what? It, usually when you deal with it, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to work out, at least you have a better feeling that you did what you could you know, yep. uh, to try to make things right. Yep. That's a great example. And again, I, I so admire your humility and uh, you touched on words. I'm sure Chris will, will uh, engage you in that conversation. You know, we say pride is the opposite of humility. 
So, uh, you know, recognizing the talent around you, the great people that you surround yourselves with, seeing them and listening to them, in my opinion, yeah. is one of one of those attributes of that um, servant leadership. You know, we read a short story, Salam, in uh, my freshman English class, and there's a quote from the short story that talks about pride. It says, pride is a terrible, wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, and that paradox is so true that we, we want kids to have pride in themselves, but yet Excessive pride, as we all know, is uh, can be very, very devastating. I agree. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I I, um, I do try to teach humility to our kids. I think that's a really important uh, trait to have. Um, so, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, I think we all agree we we could keep rolling uh, here and talk about you know these these things for much longer we we gotta wrap it up um now uh we try to keep these pretty tight to you know our 60 minutes um but in closing you know first of all um uh thanks tom i mean this has been awesome and tons of content here um and i'm I'm confident anybody that's that's been listening or that will listen to this you know will will walk away with plenty of, of takeaways um, but we always like to end uh, the show with, you know, with with kind of a, an abstract question, but just always curious of, of your your response to it. And, and what I'm thinking of now um, is, you know, what what's been if you had to categorize, you know, bring it down, bring it down to one thing. What's one thing that you would do differently, you know, if you could go back um, 42 years to when you first started coaching? Um, what what would be what would be one thing that you would do differently? Let's say you could go back in time and talk to your 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 past self and say, "Hey, do this." What would it be? I think um, I think one of the things that I would do differently is, especially as a younger coach, speak differently to uh, people when 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 we had to have to release players and have to cut players. Um, you know what? I, I since I'm a teacher, Barlow. Um, you know, I have to cut players that I see every day in the hallway. And um, I think early on in my career, I would just want to try to, I would make those decisions and then then I wouldn't follow up with them like I wished I would. And I thought, I think, you know, in today, now today I do it a little bit differently. If I cut a, cut a kid on a Thursday night and I notice that he's really, really upset, I'll seek him out on a Friday morning and communicate with him. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a position where I serve kids, not just my, my basketball kids, but, and not just my students, but, but all the students at Barlow High School. I feel like I'm in a service a position where I need to serve them. And I feel at times that maybe that I was not as empathetic and understanding as I needed to be with some of those kids. So that's a, that's a amazing uh, response. Very humble, humble response. Um, yeah, you, you, can I share a few things with you too? I wanted to, I wanted to share this with with you guys uh, for for parents out there um, because I know it's always and sometimes I don't know if parents know how they should act at act at an athletic event when their son or daughter's involved. And the, the information that I'm going to share is really not my information. Uh, I got it from an expert that studied youth sports for 35 years. But I want to encourage parents out there that the number one thing that your son or daughter wants from you at an athletic event is for you to be a role model and to allow the experience to be their experience. And I, I think it's um, I said earlier that that I think athletics is a great place for kids to to fail. Um, and, and I think it's important that parents allow their kids that opportunity to fail, uh, obviously provide them encouragement, but but don't don't provide them instruction unless you're actually their coach. Um, I think it's important as a parent that you help your son or daughter understand that frustration comes along uh, with being a, a playing a team sport. And I think it's important that you uh, accept your role as a spectator in the stands and understand that your role is completely different from the role of the coach. The coach's role deals with the team and your role as a parent deals with your son or daughter. And so naturally, there's going to be a little bit of conflict between coaches and, and parents. But I, I read a quote the other day uh, from a, psycho- a child psychologist that, that mentioned this about 
the, the value of athletics for young people. He says that adversity and failure are useful and even necessary for use to develop into strong-minded, successful adults. That it's actually necessary for, for use to fail. And that's, so don't allow your kids to fail in the athletic arena. It's a good thing. I love that. That's great advice. Yeah. And and, I mean, even it's even beyond, even beyond athletics, um, you know, just in, in life, we need, we need to, we need to uh, be okay when, you know, we don't settle for failure, obviously, but we all are going to fail to some degree. And, um, and we need to, you know, for leaders in an organization, allow your, your people to sometimes make mistakes. Um, uh, that's how they grow. That's how they become better. I certainly am and better because of mistakes I've made when, and having great leaders that have allowed me to learn from it rather than, you know, uh, maybe shaming me or, or, you know, even punishing me for, for those mistakes. Uh, obviously there's different degrees of mistakes that we can make, but, but, uh, I think that that, that idea is really important is allow, is allow people to fail to, so they can learn. Um, I gotta, I gotta wrap us up, but this is, this has been enriching for me. Um, really insightful for me. Uh, I'm going to leave, uh, this evening thinking about quite a bit of, uh, of these topics that we've been covering. So I just want to say thanks again, uh, Tom, for joining, joining the show. Um, I know that our, our listeners will get a lot out of this. Salam. Thanks, uh, always as well for, for joining as our, as our co-host. Um, any last words that you'd like to share? Thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I too thank you, Tom, for spending the time with us and sharing a glimpse of your life journey and and your leadership and in, in our in our not immediate community, but the community that you've been a part of and have been able to influence in so many ways. Um, Chris and I were talking about this earlier, and and you mentioned it in your comment about the fact that. Uh, only in the United States, athletics and education, athletics and schooling are so intertwined or integrated. And uh, there's tremendous value in that. And uh, I think it, it, it's tremendous because it allows individuals like you to be educators, but to, um, to be also developers of good people. I mean, that's essentially what this is all about. It's, it's about people and you're helping develop great people. So I think this just underscores the importance of athletics in our education and our society and the importance of looking at athletics through the right lens, which you do. And, and we commend you and admire you for it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. All righty. Well, thank you both. Um, and thanks for all of you listeners for tuning in. Another episode on the Rooted Leadership Podcast. As always, stay safe. And until next time, uh, take care.